Brought to you by Tiger P. Ford. Welcome back to Inside Orthopedics. This is Tiger, your orthopedic industry insider and retained recruiter for early stage orthopedic companies. This is episode number 42 in a startup series titled Canary Medical, a startup bringing the first smart implants into orthopedics. I first wrote about the coming of smart implants on OrthoStreams back in 2012. In this pod, I was thrilled to talk with Dr. Bill Hunter, CEO and founder of Canary Medical, who's actually doing the work. Bill and his small team are creating orthopedic implants that talk and will predict problems before the patient or healthcare provider even knows there's a problem. This is a great insight into the future of orthopedics. Enjoy the conversation. All right, so I'm live with Bill Hunter at Canary Medical. Welcome, Bill. Thanks, Tiger. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, thanks for your time. Uh, so this one is uh, near and dear to my heart. As, as I guess we met um, online, uh, I wrote an article about 10 years ago about this yeah. I thought smart implants were going to be the future of orthopedics, and you're the first one that's done it. <laughs> so uh, I can't wait to to have a chat with you. So, well, first of all, uh, tell tell the audience who you are uh, and your, what your background is. Yeah, so um, I'm completely unqualified in orthopedics. I'm I'm a I'm a doc by training. Uh, but I've spent most of my life uh, in cardiovascular. So my my first company was a, a company called Angiotech that was involved in, in drug-coated stents. So we developed the, the Taxis stent and Paclitaxel balloons and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was, it was a big cardiology, interventional radiology business with a few thousand employees, but, but uh, not in orthopedics. Um, and then my, my second... Um, Stint was uh, at a pharmaceutical company called Cardiome that uh, made antiarrhythmic drugs. So my background's really, really in in cardiovascular. But when we were at Angiotech, we developed a wound closure device called Quill, which was a, a barb suture, and it ended up that 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 product was used primarily by plastic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons, and and during and particularly once doing total joint replacement. And that's how I met Fred Kushner orthopedic surgeon, and that's how my career kind of touched into orthopedics and how I ended up where I am. Interesting. What year was that? I probably met Fred, I'm going to say, you know, 2005, six, somewhere around there. Wow. Um, and he was, he was one of the first ones to be using Quill uh, to close uh, after total knees. And uh, he did a lot of our, uh, not just our design work, but he, he did a lot of our clinical validation work, and we just kind of kept in touch from from then on. All right. And so, when was the when was the foundation or the very beginning of Canary? Yeah. So it would have been about the time you were writing your article, um, 2012 or so. Um, you know, kind of just one of those those weird things. I. Um, 
you know, the, the premise behind Angiotech was that, you know, medical devices fail because they get inflamed and infected, and there were pharmaceutical compounds that were anti-infectives and anti-inflammatories, so why not put them together? So the business was really an attempt to cross over an outside technology into medtech. That's how I ended up in medtech. Um, and uh, Canary was really, as I'm fond of saying, you know, old dog, same trick. It was the concept that, hey, you know, we've got all this sensor technology, we've got all this, all these connected devices in the world. Um, why in the world are are not, you know, major medical devices connected to the internet? Why do they not self-report? Why do they not self-diagnose? It just seems, you know, so inherently obvious. Uh, and you know, so the, the concept was to bring. Once again, technology that was you wouldn't traditionally think of um, as medtech technology, and, and bring it into medtech as a as a way to solve problems. So you so you founded the company in 2012 or thereabouts? Yeah, yeah, about that about that time. Um, I you know started writing the IP. I still had a day job, <laughs> a pharmaceutical <laughs> company at the time, but uh, yeah, so I started writing the IP and and then. You know, a lot of the engineers that I'd worked with and, and folks that I'd worked with at, at Angiotech, who, although obviously were, you know, had been working on drug coatings and other stuff, but, you know, had worked on some pretty sophisticated medical devices. So, so they joined me, and you know, that's it. Just slowly gained momentum from that point forward. And you, you just started by yourself, and you. Uh, yep, you by myself, by by Fred Kushner, who's uh, a surgeon at HSS, by. Um, Jeff Gross, who was my lead engineer at, at Angiotech, and uh, David McMasters, who uh, had been an IP attorney that I'd worked with for almost 30 years now. So, um, you know, just kind of got the band back together, and, and everybody, you know, worked for equity, not for, for salary, and that's how we got going. Got it. Well, that's a typical story. That's So everybody had a day job <laughs> somewhere. Everybody had a day job, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. And so the patents took uh, probably two or three years to issue. And um, yeah, so we we wrote we wrote a fair bit of IP. Um, and you know, Persona IQ and the knee, which I'm you know obviously we'll probably spend most of our time talking about, was was only part of it. We we basically took the the premise and said, okay, if you're going to put a sensor on a heart valve or a coronary stent or a hip or a knee, what what sensors would you use? And, and you know what would you want them to do? So it was it was a much more broad approach. It wasn't orthopedic focused. Um, it was it was really focused on you know kind of what I would call the the sensor and uh, you know medical device overlap. And truth be told, we ended up in orthopedics not just because of Fred, but that was a big part of it. But because the technology five, six, seven years ago was was still pretty big, and we needed devices that were large enough to to actually. Yeah hold the the components that we needed to use. Yeah, there's a lot of, I used to design total knees and there's a lot of space yep. in the keel. <laughs> and uh yeah, I was it's perfect. It's actually perfect. And I'm sure over time the batteries and things will get smaller, but it's great starting point. Well, and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you an example. So we, we you know, we started building this stuff I don't know, probably seven, eight years ago when we were you know really started to try and make them. Um but now we have an implant that we're making for brain aneurysms, it's actually a millimeter cubed in size. So we're, we're able to wow. get a power source, sensors, and transmission technology into that small a package. But that was not the case, you know, six, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Um, well, it, yeah, it's just technology is your friend with 
minimizing the size of the device. Interesting. So, so how did you guys? So you, so you thought about putting sensors in total knees. So how did you? Did you do animal work? Did you? How did you do the early proof of concept stuff? Yeah. So you know, we we met with a few um, orthopedics companies and who were. Perhaps not surprisingly, weren't overly enthusiastic. <laughs> they looked, they looked at it and said, "Well, you know, two things. One, I, you know, I'm not so sure the the industry will uh, support adding cost to the implant, which I'm sure you've heard a million times in your career. Um, and secondly, you know, go do it. Like, like, show me how this works. Like, it's a great intellectual exercise, but you know, show me how it works. So, we spent the next couple of years just proving that we could do it. Um, and believe it or not, we, we didn't do so much animal studies for the obvious reasons that, you know, there's no animal model of a total knee. Um, but there is a bunch of biological surrogates that you can use that, that perform like human tissue. Um, and so we would, you know, we had to prove that we could build the thing. We had to prove that we could power the sensors. We had to prove that we could transmit from inside the body out. In fact, you know, transmit several meters away from the body so that we could actually capture that signal and and communicate to the internet. So the first couple of years was really all about power and transmission, um, and proving that you know we could come up with with something that worked. And then you know it became more about figuring out what the doctors and the uh, you know the corporates wanted. You know, did you know how long did you want us to monitor? How you know how many times? What what did you want us to do? What did you think would be commercial? And you know, people said, we need you to monitor for 20 years, and we need you to monitor a lot at the beginning when the patient's recovering, and then we need to, to follow them a little bit less over time. All those decisions about how often you monitor and all that type of thing, of course, has an impact on how much power you need, how big your battery is, and all those kind of things. So a lot of, a lot of back and forth uh, for a few years, you know, just trying to refine it. Um, and then, and only then, we, we actually bypassed animals. We went right from there into cadaver studies. Yeah, that makes sense. You need a lot of thick tissue to go through. Um, yes. Interesting. It probably, your technology development was probably faster than the big orthopedic companies could figure out what they needed. <laughs> you know, so they, they're not really good at challenging their own legacy products and thinking out of the box. So that's really interesting. Uh, well, it's funny. I've, I've had kind of two experiences in, in my career. I, you know, one was when I, I first started telling people they should put drugs onto their coronary sense, and I literally had an executive pull me outside of the building and point to the name um, on the building and said, you know, do you see the word pharmaceuticals anywhere there? And you know, adding adding drugs and pharmacokinetics and toxicology and biodiversity, that's just not something that uh, you know most. Medtech, uh, you know, cardiovascular companies had any interest in. Obviously, ultimately, the technology evolved. But the same was kind of true when we got started. It, really, this device is its closest uh, comparator is is a pacemaker. Um, and you know, in orthopedics, in particular, that you know, you don't have a lot of active implants. So even though you've got some really skilled engineers, and you've you know. You've, you've got people who've been through the business a long time. They they hadn't spent a lot of their time building that particular type of implant. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, that's really interesting. And when you say active, you mean uh, electrical components. 
Yeah, um, yeah. If, if, if our first indication had been in cardiology, this would have been a no-brainer. There's, you know, right, right. four companies in the world could, could build it in a half an hour. Um, but in orthopedics, you know, quite, quite different. Yeah, there's a, I guess there's some bone stimulators that are yep. electrical, but that's about – that's interesting. Um, so, and how was, how was the company funded early on, Bill, after, you know, you guys didn't take a salary, and then at some point yep. you, needed, you needed real money? Yep. Well, our, our first company had been good to us, so we were able to self-fund for quite a while. Um, and that allowed us to stay quiet and, and do what we wanted to do. So for a number of years, we, we just funded the, the business ourselves. You know, it was, it was even harder on my founders because they, they not only had to give their expertise, but they, <laughs> they provided funding too. Um, so, you know, we, we self-funded, and we didn't take what I would call professional venture money until 2019. Okay. Got it. And... And that's like just Series A. Basically? Yeah, we did. We did one Series A in two tranches. Um, you know, we we probably did somewhere in the neighborhood of you know eight ish million in seed funding. Again, you know, kind of friends and family internal. Um, then we did uh, forty million in Series A um, in two tranches over over two years. Um, and fortunately for us, we've we've had a lot of business development success. Um, so, you know, right now we have 65 odd million dollars in cash on hand. So, you know, more than we have raised and, wow. um, it, uh, you know, building, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this too, but building the support structure for the data and, and doing the whole thing, you know, that was probably close to a hundred million dollars worth of work. So uh, a lot of people really underestimate what's involved and, you know, great, you've, you've got the data, but capturing it, processing it, you know, user interfaces, storage, AI, machine learning, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's expensive to, to yeah, turn that into a usable product. Well, let's get, let's get into the product because I, I, <laughs> want, I want the audience to understand what's the hardware yep. first. Yep. And then we'll yep. talk about the software side. Yeah, it's, you know, pretty straightforward um, conceptually. Uh, you need a power source no matter what you do. Um, in total joint, the, the device is big enough that you can use a pacemaker battery, uh, which is great because uh, the, the density of, of power delivery from those batteries has been getting better, you know, record speed. Um, then, you know, you, you populate it with sensors. Um, in, in orthopedics, we, we use 3D gyroscopes, 3D accelerometers, step counters. Obviously, orthopedics is all about movement, so it's really about collecting movement in three space. Um, so that's, uh, you know, the, the sensor arrays we use. We use something quite different in vascular. Um, and then you need a transmission technology, um, and there's several to choose from. But in our case, we use the mixed radio system that's used by pacemakers because it had a 20-year FDA history. Um, and we wanted to keep the components, uh, things that FDA had seen before, since this was, you know, really a first-in-class device. Then there's a bit of memory there, so we can we can store um, data. If you happen to be away from your home for a few weeks, that's no problem. The, the device will will keep recording your data, even if it's not connected to to the internet. Um, and we can also keep track of 
you know, your your knee will always know which doctor put it in, where it was put in, which parts were there, uh, so that, you know, if, if, if we needed to find a particular part, we could actually find the 20 patients who, who had that part, um, you know, for, for safety reasons. So that's that's the the basic componentry of it that's what that's the hardware that goes inside um the battery is so powerful and the power draw is so low that you know we think we'll be able to pull you know in time 20 years worth of data off of of that implant excellent so, so and how big is this describe since we don't have pictures here yeah, yeah. describe him so, how big the blender yeah. is yeah, so right now it fits into kind of a, a standard tibial extension. So it's it's bigger than the stubby, but it's not as long as, as the longer um, extensions. Um, it's probably the size of a AAA battery okay. for a visual. Yep. Uh, got it, got it. Um, and, it, and it fits in the tibial stem. And so, yep. so a manufacturer would have to basically just make a cavity inside the tibial keel and, and just seal it. Yeah. So the 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 typical the the, the persona uh, tibial extension is a solid piece of metal. So um, Zimmer you know uh, provides us with a hollowed out version of that, and then we put the electronics in it and build it and and send them back. Uh, you know the the finished stem. So. From a product point of view, if their docs know how to put in Persona, they'll know how to put in Persona IQ. Uh, there's a couple of minor things about how you put it in because you, you can't hit it with a hammer. <laughs> but yeah. um, it uh, it is uh, you know it, it's the same stem that you would use if if it was solid metal. Got it. Interesting. Um, okay, and so and and so you send it back to Zimmer, and then it it goes into a patient and you know, somewhere Philadelphia, and then yep. the day of the day of surgery. How does the how does the device know the patient and the yep. components and all that? Yep, it was a great question. So, you know, the, the good thing about knee replacements is it's an elective surgery, um, so we can you know prep the patient in advance, if you will. Um, so, the uh, we we have a, a little base station. It's it's about the size of a modem. And it needs to be in the patient's bedroom, and it needs to be connected to the Internet. Um, and it's literally as simple as if the green light is on, it's connected. <laughs> if, if it isn't on, um, we will know that, and we'll send somebody out to, uh, to connect it for you. But once that's done, that's the entire patient compliance. So it sits in the bedroom once a day, you know, at night. Um, it downloads all the data that, that the, the knee collected during the course of the day, and that's pushed automatically to the cloud. So we go to the patient, when the patient's going through their preoperative assessment, that's when we provide them with the base station. We make sure that they go home and they get it all set up and it's it's running so that, you know, when they come home from the hospital, it's already up and running in their house and they're not, you know, sedated and groggy and trying to figure out how to hook up their knee. So that, that all gets done in advance. Um, and then with respect to the device itself, to preserve the battery, it gets shipped in deep sleep. Um, and then there's a base station uh, in the operating room, and that wakes up the device, tests it, makes sure that it's working, makes sure that it, it does all those things before it's implanted, um, and just as importantly, um, you know, does those things we talked about in terms of 
keeping track of all the different components of the knee that were used and any other important things that that might be needed um, for the patient records so that that gets that gets into the system as well. So, and everyone's got a unique identifier. Some that's type. correct. Yeah. Yep. That's really yep. interesting. Wow. That is. And so, and the the data that's captured is lots of uh, motion. But to explain mm -hmm. how detailed the motion is and yep. what. Yeah. Yeah. So you know we're we kind of had this chicken and egg phenomenon, which is that we, we can't put these in until we're approved. So, you know, all the stuff that we've done is not from implanted um, devices. Um, however, we, you know, we've been making these things for a while. So we've been able to strap them on to people and have them walk around and validate our whole system and, you know, be able to do the things we want to do. So the easiest way to describe it is that You've got these 3D, so X, Y, and Z um, gyroscope, which is which is angular velocity. Then you've got 3D accelerometers, which is acceleration. And so you're getting all this three-dimensional data, you know, points in space. Um, if you think about the human eye, we see at about 25 frames per second. Um, these devices collect. Uh, movement at 800 frames per second. And in fact, wow. the, the the system that we used was actually developed initially for drones as the navigation system. And as, as you can appreciate, those drones are exquisitely know where they are in three space, right? So it's yeah. very precise three-dimensional information. Anyways, the reason I, I point that out is that I think the technology in, in our mind had, had some benefits that I, I don't think we even really conceived of when we started working. So because of the you know the the richness of the data and the fact that we have two different sources of it so we have kind of six channels of information we we don't just see macroscopic movement so we we don't just see the leg moving you know the the 25 frames per second that our eye sees we also see the movement of the implant itself so every time your heel hits the ground it sends a shock wave through the entire skeleton and that's going to be transmitted up through the tibia and it's also going to be transmitted up through the implant right and so we actually see the implant move within the bone so we can tell whether that implant is firmly in place or whether it's it's moving around think of a hitting a tuning fork and then putting your hand around it you know if if the tuning fork's just vibrating it, it it has one signature pattern if you dampen it with your hand you get a different signature pattern so, wow, so we're able to to get yeah. exactly so we so we see macro motion for sure in in very finite detail but we you know we believe that we're going to be in time capable of seeing you know very micro type motions and and patterns of behavior of the implant itself which i think are you know have the potential to be really important going in, in detecting other things. So once you figure out what attributes yep. are seen with a loosened tibial plate, then you can you can you can catch that early. Yeah. So you know the the analogy I always use, probably because of my background, but I always use the analogy of an ECG, right? And so if you kind of think of an ECG tracing your mind, something something most of us are familiar with. It, it, it actually has a whole bunch of different elements to it. So first and foremost, it, it tells you what's going on. It tells you the anatomy of the heart, right? So if you, know, you have a problem with a P wave, you know that the, the issue is in the patient's atrium, 
Well, the same is true with a, a gait tracing, right? We, we all walk slightly differently, but we all do the same things, right? Our heel hits the ground, we roll on the ball of our foot, we push off, we swing our legs. So if you see an abnormality in the tracing, you know where in the gait cycle that abnormality exists, right? So you, you have anatomy. The second thing you have is rhythm, right? So in ECG, you can you know, tell the difference between AFib or you know, any other rhythm abnormalities by, by looking at the pattern. The same is true here. A person who limps, a person who has a fixed contracture, they walk differently and their tracing is different than a person who's walking normally. So you don't just get quantitative gait information, you get qualitative gait information. So it's not just that Mrs. Jones took 500 steps, but what was the quality of those steps? Was she limping or were they long athletic strides or were they you know, something in between? And then the aspirational part, which is going to take some time, it's going to take some work on our part, is the analogy I use for heart attack. So once upon a time when I practiced medicine, you know, if you look at an ECG, you can tell that the patient's having a heart attack. Well, ECG doesn't measure blood flow through the coronary arteries. It doesn't have anything to do with it. But it causes such characteristic changes in the ECG, and when you've seen them enough over a longer period of time over enough patients, they ultimately, of course, became diagnostic of heart attack. So when you ordered the ECG, you can say not only that the patient's having a heart attack, but which arteries involved. Well, we think the same is probably going to be true here. You're going to see both macroscopic and microscopic changes if a patient has a contracture or if a patient has micromotion or instability or potentially even if a patient is developing an infection because they will walk differently, the implant will move differently, and we may see patterns that are diagnostic or at least suggestive of that type of, of abnormality. Wow, that is really cool. You, there's going to be benefits that nobody can even predict yet. That's, that's amazing because you've got somebody looking at the patient in incredible detail 24 hours a day. That is really interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick background. It's I'm the wrong medium for this, but we we have a video that we show, and we show a person walking on the treadmill with with the device, and you can see the tracing of of what it looks like. You you look at their tracing, then we put a knee brace on them that restricts their range of motion, right? And they walk on the treadmill again, and just looking eyeballing it with your eye, you can see that their their knee tracing is different, right? And so what you what you can do is you can say okay well not only does this person you know is is not walking normally but because we have three dimensional information we can say hey it's you know the restricted extension of 15 degrees you you can actually measure it you can see it now you go one step further and you you know do the machine learning type aspects on it and you have patterns of people limping and you have patterns of people walking normally, now after you know, a relatively small number of, of samples, you can show a tracing to the computer and without knowing anything else, the computer can tell you whether that's a limping tracing or a walking tracing. Yeah. It learns, yeah. right? And, right? And so that's where, that's where you know, a lot of work to be done here. I don't, I don't want to, you know, we have, this is all aspirational stuff. We've we got to do our homework here. But, but sure. the potential here to do different things um, is, is pretty exciting. And, you know, once we are hopefully approved and once we start to collect data from inside the body, um, you know, our hope is, is that the, the richness of that data will be, will be yeah. uh, really insightful. 
But no, you make a good point because AI is really good at pattern recognition. That's one thing yep. AI is good at. And yep. so once once it says, okay, this person's limping, this person's got a loose implant, uh, this person's got an infection. Once it learns the data, the motion data, then it can it can pre preventively, uh, you know, scream out this this patient's about to have a problem. That's really right. cool. And 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 so you know, this once again, I you know, I can't prove this. We haven't we haven't done it yet, right? But at least in theory, take something like infection, right? You, the hope is that once you have 25, 50 patients with infection, you'll then have this, you know, we have tracings every day for the first year from the patient. We have tracings three times a day, every day for, for a year. So we have all kinds of, of data coming in. So once we have 50 patients who had an infection, you know, is there, are there changes that, that are Characteristic of infection, just like that ECG, or you know, or do we do we see an elevated ST segment? You know, do we see a change that says, hey, this person is you know has an infection? And then working backwards again to use the cardiology analogy, if I have a patient who has chest pain, what do I do? Well, I do a stress test, and we try to elicit that response because we want to diagnose the risk of myocardial infarction before we have myocardial infarction. And that, of course, is the holy grail. So do we understand the pattern of what an infection looks like? And then can we work backwards from that and come up with early indicators that allow us to say, okay, you know, this is a patient that's recovering normally, you know, fantastic. We, you know, we'll, we'll follow them this way. But this patient over here is showing signs that I don't like. Maybe this is someone I should come in and work up, um, you know, further for something that, 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 you know, could be developing. Yeah, I, I always thought that uh, infections would come from uh, a temperature sensor, but it, yep. it makes sense you could back into it with motion. That's really interesting, especially if a patient's motion changes. Uh, that is really interesting. Well, well cool. you know, it's, it's it's funny. It's it's funny. So the first part of my career was spent trying to modify the biological reaction to an implanted body, right? That's what resinosis is. And so looked at an awful lot of biological sensors. And, you know, we went through that too, but the problem with temperature and, and pH, for example, which would be the obvious ones you'd use, is that that sensor would have to be exactly at the spot where the infection was, right? Yeah, and yeah. And and so you'd have to have it on the femoral component. You'd have to have it on the poly. You'd have to have it on the on the tibial component. But if instead you can see signatures, much like an electrical pattern can tell you about a vascular injury, if you can see that, you know, that covers the whole implant, and that gives you a chance to pick it up regardless of where that infection may be developing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's such a local phenomenon that uh, right. you, know, you can back into it with, Motion signatures, that is really interesting. Wow. Well, so, the, other, the other thing is, you know, back to my previous life, the problem with surface sensing is that all of our implants, all implants ultimately become encapsulated. And once they do that, they don't really detect, uh, they, they, you start detecting the microenvironment, not the macroenvironment. It's, it's been the problem with diabetes sensing for a long time, right? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> that makes sense. They're sort of, they're sort of blocked off from seeing bone, real bone. 
Um, yeah. So let's talk about. Man, this is this is. I can see the future. <laughs> uh, you did, in and, fact, ten years ago when you wrote the article. I mean, doing it differently than I envisioned. Uh, who's the guy that said the future is already here, but it's not evenly distributed? Um, exactly. Yeah. So, what's the what's the business model? So you obviously have a partnership with Zimmer. Yep. Yeah. But are you a hardware company or a software company or both? Yeah, that that's a great question too. And and the answer is it really depends. So best way to describe this is kind of look at, at two extremes. So we're working on building a, a device that can detect, you know, if your aneurysm is going to rupture, right? Right. Now, let me take abdominal aneurysm as an example, right? You you have an 8% cumulative risk that your aneurysm, if you put in a stent graft, that your aneurysm will rupture in any given year. So by the time you're out three years, your risk is, you know, 24%. And, and it just keeps going on in that amount. In any event, that's something you'd want to know about for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. So... If, if, if you were monitoring that, you'd want to know if there was pressure building up in your aneurysm every day, of, every month of, you know, the rest of your life because, you know, that's, that's life-altering type information. In that situation, the device isn't as important as the data. And, in fact, you're less worried about making money on the device because the data is where the value is. And so under those circumstances, you're really more of a data company and, I'm not suggesting you give away the vascular graph, but how much you get paid on the graph probably doesn't matter as much. At the other end of the spectrum, think about making a smart screw, which is something else we're working on. And let's think about just a simple femoral neck fracture. Well, under those circumstances, monitoring to see the, the callus formation or monitoring to see if the screw is broken or bent or backing out or you know whether you get normal healing, that's valuable, but it's only valuable for a few months. And so you better make your money on the device because the data lifespan is relatively short, you know? And so yeah. under those circumstances, you're really more of a device company than you are a data company. And the knee is kind of somewhere in between, right? Um, you, you, the first year is going to be really imp important. Um, and, you know, that data in the first year is, is really going to be where a lot of the, the insights are gained. And after that, you're probably looking more at annual management, right? Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, once a year, twice a year kind of thing. So, you know, it, it falls somewhere in between. So the answer to your question is it really depends on what clinical problem you're trying to solve. Okay. So, uh, well, can you share what the cost is? I mean, I'm sure the cost is going to go way down, but what's the cost of the hardware that goes into the, the tibia? Yeah, what I will say about that is we're building a pacemaker, <laughs> right? Yeah. So our cost is our cost is never going to be like you know a hundred bucks. Um, right. This is a pacemaker, right? We we have a pacemaker battery, we have telemetry in there, you know, the sensors and the and the boards are all getting cheaper and cheaper, but you know batteries are are not free and and the transmission technology. So it we we're analogous to what it would cost to build a pacemaker. Right, right, and then obviously volume's your friend, so. When yes, you start making yes. hundreds and thousands and tens, you know, it's it, it, it matters a lot. Like it, the volume volumes matter a lot. The good news for us is that you know, as we start thinking about making hips and shoulders, 
you know, a lot of the uh, the componentry will overlap, and so we can order bigger and bigger quantities and and help reduce costs that way as well. Right, right. Okay, so so we got a patient with a knee uh, with, mm -hmm. with Chirp. I guess the product's name is Chirp. Um, yeah, that's that, that's our generic name. <laughs> yes. Yep. So they got a total knee with a Chirp inside, and yep. it's monitoring three times a, a day for the first year. And then where where does the data go? The data goes from the the bedside thing through the yep. Wi-Fi to the cloud, and then where? Yep. Where is that? Uh, yep. Who who manages the cloud? Um. So that goes to our closed cloud system, and perhaps not surprisingly, the from a regulatory perspective, our product is not just the implant. Our product is the implant, the transmission technology, the uh, the data processing, and the user interfaces that the patient and the doctor look at. So it, it goes to the Canary Cloud system. Although the user interfaces that people will be using will be the the Zimmer Biomet, the My Mobility interfaces that okay. oh, yeah, uh, that's that's already out there. Yeah. They got the the app. Yeah, that's great. Yep. yep. Yeah. No, they have a, a wonderful user experience there. That that so they already have you know the patient management tools, the rehab tools, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so this 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 will just fit into what they already have. Perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect partner for you. Early. Mm -hmm. So is there so there's there's data coming in so let's just say a patient has an issue where the yep. you know a base plate's loose or there's an early infection so how I mean I know we're talking about the future but how yes. who is alerted how are they alerted what happens right. next Yeah so you know this is you know this is this is all in a perfect world <laughs> um so uh, you know what where you'd like to get to you know at, at some future date right is i kind of look at it as a multi-step process so the most often quoted statistic although i'm not sure how accurate it is but the most often quoted statistic is that 80 percent of people are happy with their needs right 20 percent of people are dissatisfied for a collection yeah, of different reasons. That's ballpark, yep. Yeah, and so I think kind of your first level is can we identify those 80% of people who are doing well? One, because you know they probably don't need as much physio. They probably don't need as much follow-up. And obviously, can we identify the 20% who seem to be lagging behind? Or, you know, do we, we measure range, we, we measure all kinds of other things too, right? So we measure step count, cadence, walking, distance traveled, walking speed, all those things. So you're getting a real measure of what the patient's activity is, and then we're also measuring the range of motion and the gait and all the other things I talked about. So, you know, is there a, a sequence of events that says, hey, this is the pattern of a patient who needs to be called in for more follow-up. So that's that's kind of the first bifurcation. You know, can we tell normal from abnormal? Then, you know, the next level of of that is, all right, can among those 20%, can we identify those where early intervention, you know, would be useful? So, you know, if I've got a patient who is you know, uh, having problems with contracture, well, if I don't figure that out until three months, you might be taking that patient to the operating room for, you know, manipulation under anesthesia or even, you know, some sort of scar tissue release. But if I knew that at 21 days, that might be a patient that you could 
send a physio or you could, you know, send home care out the, to manipulate the joint and break up that scar tissue before it before it becomes, uh, you know, too tenacious. So to me, the second tier is identifying those recovery periods earlier. There are those, you know, find the 20%, that's valuable, and then find the 20% as early as possible when you can still intervene. And then, of course, the holy grail is, can you start to look at it and say, okay, this is a patient that, you know, is heading for a, a particularly uh, significant problem like an infection, and can I get to that patient where they could be treated with local antibiotics and exchanging the poly instead of, you know, them not showing up in, until you've got to do a, you know, a total right. replacement. Right. So that, that's, and, and, you know, that's going to take a lot of patience. That's going to take a lot of knowledge. From a regulatory perspective, you know, you're going to have to develop that almost as you would a diagnostic test. Those are all separate regulatory submissions to the FDA, all evaluated based on the, the data that you collect. But that's, that's kind of the path that you would like to, to progress on the technology. I think in the beginning, it's, it's going to be fairly straightforward, just, you know, looking at how well people are moving around, um, seeing if they're active or inactive, and then hopefully we can just continue to build on that as we get more information. Interesting. Wow. That is, yeah, this is great. So what's the, what's the status? I know you've got a regulatory submission in the U.S. Uh, yep. was it, first of all, was it just, a, is it a class two or was it? Uh, yep. The whole system, the whole system is a class two. It was a de novo 510K without clinicals. Okay. Um, and uh, we were granted breakthrough status. So we're, we're under the okay. breakthrough program, which has been, I think has been really, really helpful for us. So and and it's it's in it's cooking at the FDA and uh, it's it's cooking at the FDA um i i make it a policy of not handicapping the FDA <laughs> um but uh we're we're well down the pathway um the beauty of the the breakthrough program is that it is an interactive review uh so we've been you know getting questions back and forth uh it it, it really they have helped us a lot uh, because you know it was a, a first-in-class product, and and you know I think they wanted to uh, make sure that it was developed in a way that that they were comfortable. So I'm I'm hoping we're pretty close to the goal. Got it, got it. And so let's 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 talk about future. So you you mentioned a couple, you know, products: total shoulders, total hips, probably, um, and then other markets. So while you were talking, I was thinking. You know, countries where they uh, where there is a national healthcare system where they yep. have a value on treating a patient for yep. life may yep. be really interesting. Yep. Yeah, I I practice medicine in a socialized system. I'm, I'm Canadian. Um, yeah. And uh, I've had uh, you know conversations with the NHS in, in the UK with you know uh, senior folks even at, at NHS. There is you know, I think the holy grail, and, you know, if I can shout out my partner here and, and give them credit, I, I think Brian Hansen and Yvonne and Rachel, I, I think they've been really fairly visionary. But the, the holy grail here is, hey, can we then learn from the implant? And does that implant inform not just best practices or how we rehab our patients, which is really important. But does it start to inform how we put the implants in, right? 
do we do we learn something from Persona IQ that tells Rosa how to put the implant in differently in this particular patient, you know, who has these particular characteristics? And so, you know, we've we built a wearable so that we can we can look at their gait preoperatively and get an idea of what that's going to end. And will you be able to do those things to really reduce the the, the patients that uh, that are unhappy with their knee, but potentially even change this, the practice and standard of care going forward. And, you know, that's, when you talk to the nationalized systems, that's what they're really excited about. They, they, they look at that and they say, okay, that, you know, if, if, we've, if we've got access to all the data of all the patients, you know, that sounds like something that, that uh, could be a, a national initiative. Wow, that really, that does sound interesting. I mean, think about the robot aspect so if you if if for instance patients do better if they have a little bit of tibial tilt tibial base plate tilt right. or something like that um, then it the system learns and says do more of that and that can be programmed into the robot that is really interesting yeah I mean the what you know more is more right I mean the, the more you learn the the better your chance of of doing this and you know or or so my data scientists tell me but you know you could imagine that. You know, right now, I don't know what is the normal number of steps that a 65-year-old male with a BMI of 25, right? yeah, who knows, right? But, but with time, you may know that, and you may figure out how you stratify your patients, and you may find that different patients, to your point, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, so I you know, probably won't have the right description, but, you know, do we use different angles or for different body types or, or different gait patterns? Um, you know, that would be really exciting stuff to know. Interesting. Wow. This is, well, this is great. Um, so where, just let me ask you the, a broad question, where is Canary going in the future? I mean, where... Uh, uh, yeah, you you asked me earlier about orthopedics and, and the business model. And, uh, you know, orthopedics is a tough, a tough business model. Um, you know, you're you're working in a capitated system. You're working in a in a DRG that you know a, a bundle system. And if you know you take money out one place, it's got to come from somewhere else. Um, and the the business model is tough. And you know, we you and I had to talk for you know half an hour about how you would do it in terms of understanding where you might be able to extract value from the data. There are other indications where the value is is obvious. Um, like I said, I'm an old stent guy. I believe that if you knew if your stent was open or closed and you could do that, I I think you wouldn't use any other stent. Yeah. So um, we're spending a lot of time on the vascular side. That's a much higher bar. You know, what we're doing in orthopedics is not life-sustaining or supporting, right? Um, in cardiovascular, that, that might not be the case, but... Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So you're looking at you're looking at other medicines, uh, and cardio's uh, an obvious one. Yeah, cardiovascular's big. Um, you know, there's even some devices like heart valves. There's enough room, and if you know the pressure on one side of the valve or the other side of the valve, you know the neat thing about vasculature is that it's mathematics. If I know yeah. pressure and flow. You, you know, you can calculate cardiac output and ejection fraction and systemic vascular resistance. It's, it's a little bit like having an ICU inside of you for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, that, uh, that I think is, is probably a, a fruitful place to, to work. And we expanded our relationship with Zimmer, and, and so we're going to work on, 
on hips and shoulders with them. So hopefully we can fill out their product portfolio. And it's a, and have they made an investment? Is it a strategic? Uh, uh, don't tell me anything that's not public, but yeah. strategic partnership. Well, I mean, I, I think it's very strategic. I, they are not equity holders in the company, and okay. we are independent organizations. But yeah, very strategic. I mean, Zimmer, we're the, you know, as as one of my mentors always said, you know, when you're a mouse dancing with an elephant, never forget which one of you is the mouse. I mean, you know, they're they're the elephant. Um, you know, they they have all the hardware. They have, you know, an amazing commercial sales force, but they also had been fairly proactive, right? They already had the relationship with Apple. They already had Rosa. They already had my mobility. And so we are just really fitting into, you know, hopefully one of the last pieces of their puzzle. Um, and, and, you know, I think their vision in, in many ways is much broader than ours because they're, you know, they're the ones who are hoping to be able to Combine preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative data to get new insights in, in patient management. Well, you put, you definitely chose the right partner. I mean, they're the, they're really. Uh, I mean, they Zimmer tries to do spine and everything, but they're really they are a total joint company, and they that's what they do really well. And yeah, I mean, we they're the biggest. Yeah, they are, and and we were really lucky. I mean, and. You know, if if we were going to have one partner, they were the obvious choice. But even to the extent that, you know, Persona is their flagship franchise. And, you know, a, a company that was less ambitious might have put us on, you know, a, a smaller product line and taken a wait-and-see approach. I mean, they they put us on their number one platform. Um, and so... You know, if if this is successful, they are going to be able to make it so, and you know that's something that we couldn't have ever hoped to do on our own. Yeah, they have a huge marketing muscle. So, um, yeah. So if you get clearance, let's just say you get clearance by end of the year. So, mm -hmm. could you see clinicals next year, 2022? Yeah. So it it we're kind of backwards. So what the way that I think it'll end up working is, you know, we'll, we'll get approved. Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain that we will do some post-marketing studies, formal post-marketing studies for, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what you will see is that the, the, the first group, the first cohort of patients, first, you know, three, four, 5,000 patients, I think we'll, we'll try and do in a fairly well, controlled manner so that we can collect all those insights that we're hoping for. Um, because, you know, I think for this technology to really realize its vision, you know, we're going to want to be able to do some of those things we're hypothesizing about. And so I think you'll see kind of a, you know, a, a, a less about the commercial footprint than about the, the learning input by going to, you know, institutions that, that can really help us figure out what we need to figure out. And then once, you know, we have that, you know, we'll look at each other and, and you know, have a better understanding of what we have. Is this going to be a, a niche product? Is this going to be a great product? But, you know, we'll, we'll look at that data and, and that will probably dictate what the next wave looks like going forward. Got it. I understand. No, so probably be pretty quiet for a while. 
Well, you guys are. Well, I think know. I think you know I I think the first time a human being walks out of the operating room with a talking knee is going to be a, a pretty significant event. I think I think you know, but I I don't think you should gauge the story by how many get sold in year one. I think right, year right, one right. is is going to be about learning what we need to learn, and and it might be you know a couple of years out before you know we we know enough to to really uh, you know have more of an impact. Got it, got it. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for your time, Bill. This is awesome. Uh, I know the audience is going to chew this up. We may have to do another another uh, little chat maybe in, in a year or so. Um, Perfect. So how can listeners, what's the best way for listeners to find out more about Canary? Yeah, uh, you know, I think um, two ways. Uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, Zimmer is, is has uh, – invested an awful lot in this program and, and has, uh, you know, is, is, is starting to be a, a little bit more, um, uh, trans, well, you know, tell the world a little bit more about it now that we're, we're close. Um, so, you know, Zimmer has a lot of information on that. There's a lot of work that's, that's going on. Um, AOS, uh, both Zimmer and ourselves will be there with, uh, okay. um, you know, that, basically showing the things that you and I talked about, um, you know, how it works, um, what that looks like, um, you know, what, how the data is collected and all that kind of stuff. So I think AOS is AOS hoping, hoping that it goes on off as uh, planned, <laughs> but uh, AOS will be probably the, the big coming out. Okay. Yeah. So if you're in San Diego listeners in the next week, stop by the Zimmer or Canary booth, um, probably be right next to each other. Um, and yeah, we're then, close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the website. I know you guys are pretty stealthy. There's not a lot on your on the website, but there are a lot of uh, news articles. Yeah, um, the the website, um, as you can appreciate, is is being uh, the website and the information we we provide is also under regulatory um, control. So. Yeah. Um, once once the product's approved, I think people will find our website far more informative. But but right now we you know we're we're getting feedback from the agency as to you know what we can say about the product. So that that won't really be of of assistance until post approval. Got it. All right. Well, uh, we'll look for the press release. Uh, well, wow. Thanks for your time, Bill. This is terrific. Um, it's My great pleasure. to see. It's great to see the first company through the shoot. <laughs> you know, uh, this is definitely the future, and uh, we'll talk again uh, in a few months. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.